Mindfulness Mode. Understand why communication matters. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness right here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, Mindful Tribe, have you ever wanted to be a rock star communicator? Maybe you tremble when you think about stepping on stage and addressing an audience and you want to look calm, you want to look confident. Well, I've got the calm, confident guy with me today who is the rock star communicator. I have Brendan Kumarasamy with me today. Hey, Brendan, are you in mindfulness mode today? Absolutely. And and you're, you definitely are for sure, Bruce, just by the way you're communicating. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it right now. Well, Brendan, what does mindfulness mean to you? Mm, powerful question, Bruce. I would say for me, mindfulness is all about the number of perspectives that you listen to. Because once we are more aware of all of the perspectives out there, the way that people live, the, people, the way that people are, we become a lot more mindful to their situation. We become a lot more empathetic. So I would say by increasing the number of perspectives that we have that we didn't know before, that makes us more mindful about our surroundings and the people that we speak to. I think that is fascinating because nobody has ever answered that way before. Increasing the number of perspectives. Wow. When did you first come to that conclusion that that was an important way to look at the world? Mm. Fascinating question for us to start us off. I would say for me, it's when I realized that people who are successful all have different journeys that help them get there. Some people start with no money, with no network, no status, are able to climb to success. Other people in completely different countries, completely different settings, are also able to find success. And so for me, the curiosity has always been, what is it that makes people great? Whether they're a great mom, whether they're a great entrepreneur, whether they're both, right? And mm -hmm. because of that, what I also noticed is the people who are successful in life in however way we define it, are able to look at the world by analyzing all these perspectives. So they have that edge. What, one example I can give you from, from a recent book I read a few years ago is by a guy named Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel is the founder of PayPal. And he also started a, that company with many other people who went on to be very successful as well, like Elon Musk. And what's interesting about the book Zero to One is yes, this question that I never really thought of, the question was, what is the truth that you believe in that most people disagree with you on? And I thought that was an odd question. I was like, what's something that I think is true that most people would disagree with you on? And what's great about this, Bruce, is it opens your mind to new perspective because it forces you to answer something controversial. So I would say that's probably where the thesis behind opening your mind to new perspectives because that's where great ideas come from. That is fascinating. And so what do you believe in that most people do not believe in, Brendan? <laughs> I love it. I, I would say there, there's many answers to the question over the years, but I would say the, the most common one that I always love to share is the one around communication. Like a lot of us think that the fear of communication is embedded, ingrained into us as human beings that we can't take out the fear of communication. Whereas when I think about it, I go, wait a second, the fear of communication makes perfect sense. It's not a disease. Let, let's, let's think about it, right? All of the presentations in our life are mandatory. That's probably issue number one. So when we were growing up in high school in Canada, for the both of us, 
We don't, yes. we don't wake up one morning and say, hey, Bruce, you want to get breakfast and present all day? Nobody really <laughs> says that. Then we have issue number two, which is we never really get to pick the presentation. So it's never, hey, Bruce, what are you excited about today? Okay, class, Bruce is going to talk about mindfulness and podcasting because that's what he loves. And he's going to share it. And we're all going to say, wow, that's how it works. It's, hey, Bruce, uh, you got to talk about Shakespeare for two seconds. We're like, uh, what's a Shakespeare? And we have to figure that out. And then issue number three is every presentation, whether it's at school or at work, when we enter the corporate world or we start our own businesses, are tied to a punishment. So it's never, okay, everyone, Brendan's going to give this presentation on podcasting, something he loves, or public speaking, and we're all going to give him candy and clap for him. That's not how it works, unfortunately. It's, oh, by the way, Brendan, Bruce, this presentation, if you don't do a good job, forgot to mention, it's half your grade. And then when you're in corporate, it's your job. You don't get promoted. So it's no wonder that we're all scared of communication. I don't think it's a disease. It's because the education system has molded us into thinking it that way. So when did you stop being scared of presenting or did you ever? Were you always happy to present? Oh, you know, my journey, Bruce, started when I was five years old. You know, I grew up in Montreal and you know this so well. And for those who don't know, Montreal is a city where you need to know how to speak French. Yes. You need to know how to excel in that language. Fortunately for me, I didn't know the language, but my parents made the best decision that I'm grateful for, which is to send me to French school so I could learn the language. But the challenge was not only did I struggle with presentations like most of us did, I had to present in a language I didn't even know. Wow. So I'll look at the audience and go, uh, bonjour. <laughs> yeah. And that was my life growing up as a kid. And even when I got older, even today, you know, I'm, I still struggle with communication. I'm still fearful of it. But I think the difference now, definitely a lot less than I used to, but I would say the big piece is what's more important, the fear or the message. So when I ended up you know, the, taking on the projects I took on, presenting on bigger stages, doing different ideas, I think what I realized was when we focus more on the message rather than the fear, and we realize that it's more important, it's not about getting rid of the fear of communication, but rather saying, let's overcome it through our message. Okay, that's a good way to think about it. I'll tell you, I was petrified when I was in high school that I would have to even answer a question, let alone get in front of the class and deliver some kind of a talk. You know, I was just petrified. And then later things changed and I got to the point where I just was so excited about presenting and, and everything else. And I joined Toastmasters and I, I loved that and I just really, truly enjoyed it. So I came sort of full circle all the way around. And, uh, but tell me, what was the most exciting speech you've ever delivered? Mm, the most exciting speech. This is actually probably in university, Bruce. So uh -huh. what happened is when I got to university, I started doing these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So while <laughs> other guys my age are playing like soccer or rugby or baseball, I actually did presentations competitively. So believe it or not, I would actually go to Toronto quite a bit, which is near where you live, and I would compete against all the universities there, York University, Brock University, all these different unis, and in a, in a competition of PowerPoint presentations. That's essentially what I did. And that was also one of the most exciting moments of my life, because we would go up against all these 
schools, we'd prepare months on end for this presentation. And this is where the highlight happens, where we go for the win, where we go for the, the award of, of being successful and showing all the hours of practice that we took on. So that was probably the most exciting one was winning my first case competition. That must have been really cool. And what university did you go to? I went to Concordia in Montreal. Oh, you went to Concordia. Okay, great. Yeah, that's a good university. Well, it's very cool to have a chance to talk to you about all this because I think there are so many people out there just thinking, okay, give me the meat, you know, tell me, what can I do to really start to feel good about public speaking? So so what's the answer? What do we do? How do we move forward if we are scared to death to do it? Absolutely. So for the fear in particular, Bruce, I would start with a question. And the question is, that nobody asks ourselves really, is how would the world change if we were exceptional communicators? So much around communication is negative. It's around stress and anxiety and fear and all that bad stuff. But when we start to focus on, hey, how would the world be different if we were much better at communication? That's when we start to dream about our communication. Because so many of us, we dream about our vacations. We dream about the big houses we want to buy, the cars we want to get. Maybe not the listeners on this podcast, though, but, but most people in general. But when we start to dream about our communication, that's when we start to have that motivation to actually start there. Yeah, interesting. Okay. And so tell me about the kind of people you work with, because I know you've been coaching for quite some time. Tell me about the typical person that comes to Brendan to get help with this kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, so for me, my clients fall generally into three categories. So the first one would be coaches, coaches who want to use communication as a vehicle to help their clients more and to scale up their coaching businesses. That's probably number one. Number two is entrepreneurs who want to take their businesses and turn them into a movement. So not just to make money, but to share ideas on a stage, share ideas on a podcast that really impacts people, whether they make money from it or not. And then the third piece is, is the corporate executive or manager who wants to level up in their careers and, and take it to the next level. But the other piece I'll add, because you actually mentioned something interesting earlier around Toastmasters. I'm a big fan of Toastmasters. I think Toastmasters is a great organization, especially for those who are listening who don't have the budget for a speech coach. I think Toastmasters is excellent start, and I, and I highly recommend that platform as well. And so have you belonged to Toastmasters? I was mostly a guest speaker because I learned my communication skills through the case competition environment, but, but I'm definitely involved with Toastmasters. I go to a lot of the clubs and I speak a lot as well. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Well, let's talk about your YouTube channel, Master Talk. Tell me what excites you about your YouTube channel. Yeah, I love that question. You know, for me, the main reason I started it, Bruce, I think that'd be an interesting place to start, was, was to just share information. So what happened was when I graduated from university, after many years of doing these case competitions, I accidentally, and accident's a big word here, I accidentally developed a gift in helping other people communicate better. Because as I was getting older in the case competition program, new students started to enter the program, but we didn't have a communication coach to help them to compete against all the other schools. So I just started coaching them myself. I was like, all right, let's figure this out because I was mm -hmm. a decent speaker. And then I developed this skill, but the goal was never to be an entrepreneur or a YouTuber. I had an amazing job lined up at IBM as a consultant there that I worked for many years at. So when I got the job, 
a few months before I started working there, this was two, three years ago, I had the idea for Master Talk because I realized all the information I was sharing to the students wasn't available for free online. You hear advice like, oh, you should like be yourself, Bruce, get up on stage. And I was like, now this is really practical. So I started making my videos in my mom's basement three years ago. And that's what led to, to Master Talk to what it is today. That's cool. That's really cool. Well, you brought up a topic that I think is so interesting. You know, that thing about authenticity. Be yourself. Be yourself, Bruce. You know what? There's a bunch of different Bruces in here. And so it's not always easy for me to know, okay, be myself. What does that really mean? Am I going to be the zany Bruce, the crazy off the wall Bruce? Am I going to be the mindful Bruce? Am I going to be the calm, relaxed? Do you know what I mean? 100% Bruce. It's all about adapting our energy to the person. Whereas to your point, a lot of the advice we hear is very surface level. Yeah. So we're like, okay, Bruce, be authentic. Then you go, well, there's a hundred different authentic Bruces yes. in my body. So how do you adapt to each one? Whereas the actual piece of advice would be more something around adapt your energy to the person you're speaking with. Here's an easy example. When I'm talking to seven-year-old Sally and she's pulling my t-shirt at the end of a workshop, she goes, ah, uh, Brendan, uh, how do I become a great communicator? What someone decent will say is they'll say, okay, kid, you'll get better. And they'll walk away. Whereas what an exceptional communicator does is they take the time to crouch down to her level, stare at her in the eyes and go, hey, Sally, I have the secret. But if I tell you, do you promise not to tell anyone? And then she goes, yeah, tell me what the secret is. And then I whisper, all you have to do is share that beautiful smile of yours to the world. And I think you'll be exceptional because what Sally is looking for is not my advanced tips on vocal variety and pace tonality. It's hey, can you tell me that I'm a great speaker? Because my whole life, Brendan, nobody told me that. And I think that's the key. We have to adapt ourselves to the people we're speaking to. That's that's really cool advice. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. You do have to do that. So tell me about what you do on that channel. Do you interview people? Do you do short talks about how to be a master speaker? Let's talk about what you actually present. What's your content like? Absolutely. So, so the goal, Bruce, and actually on the point about adapting the energy, you'll notice that my voice is very mindful today because I'm adapting my energy to the guests that I'm speaking to. So it flows better for your audience. But, but in, in terms of the YouTube channel, so the goal of Master Talk is to become the encyclopedia for public speaking. So essentially what I did is I took every possible question somebody could ask me about speaking. I'm still a work in progress. I'm still figuring out, learning from people like yourself and other individuals on how do I make sure that when someone has an answer about communication and doesn't have money for a speech coach, that I have the answers to the question. So I've covered everything from how do you present a boring topic to how do you manage your vocal tones, like high vocal tones and low vocal tones. How do you master pace when you speak, speak, speak really, really quickly? And when do you slow down? for important parts. So I try and cover everything from A to Z. So let's talk about the actual speeches you've done. Have you ever done one where things just didn't go well and you just felt like completely horrified that you weren't getting any any response from the audience or whatever? Talk about that and what you did with, with like afterwards. How did you deal with your thoughts regarding that? Mm. Yeah. Oh, so many times to count. But I'll give you one in particular that uh, I wish I'd done a bit better at. And essentially what happened is it was a presentation 
for a group of teenage girls between the ages of eight and 15. It was a Sunday morning, oh. 8 a.m. Okay, so not the best time slot. And they needed a communication expert to come and talk to these girls and speak life into them so that they can pitch their ideas at the final kind of seminar of their leadership training. I said, okay. So I got there and I started presenting and like nothing. I'd say, okay, girls, are you all excited for this? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. So I kept going and going, showcasing 15, 20, 25 minutes nothing and then finally after 25 minutes i got one person to participate and then i was able to get their buy-in and, and kind of salvage something out of it but yeah what i learned from that speech bruce and there's a lot because this was earlier on in my speaking career is i was very insecure as a speaker because back then when i started the youtube channel i was only 22 years old and a lot of these executives were bringing me in, even if it was to teenage girls, there's a lot of executives in the room too. Mm -hmm. And I felt so insecure that I felt like, oh, I need to show her all my information. I need to show you that I'm the expert, Go name drop all of my clients, everything. And it didn't land so well. And one of the girls actually asked me the best question I ever got asked in my career. And the question was, what's a CEO? And I just went, oh, I need to simplify my language. I need to be funnier. I need to show more of my personality so that we can actually help people. That's very interesting because yeah, absolutely. You have to, you have to realize that they might not know the language that you're speaking. That's for sure. I've done, uh, you know, over 1800 live talks. And I think one of the things that I learned just without anybody really teaching me was how to read the audience. And that like, I would go out there and I would find that in the first 30 seconds, I was reading the audience. And one of the things I would always pick up right away was somebody who was acting a little bit differently than the others. Maybe they're uh, talking to somebody, maybe they're um, standing instead of sitting, maybe they're, you know, there's something about them that's standing out from the audience. Maybe it's because of something they're wearing. And very often I found that person can be my biggest ally. And, you know, I end up, you know, making eye contact with various different people in the audience. And then before I know it, if I can get that person completely engaged, then I get the whole audience completely engaged. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. I, I love your train of thought. And just to build on what you said, that was fantastic is the mistake a lot of speakers make, Bruce, is we don't spend enough time actually having dinner with the people we want to serve. This is an actual tip I give people because most of us, we, we kind of speak, but we don't actually talk to the audience. Like the analogy yes. that I always like to use is whenever I share something on a podcast, like the mental image is I'm running to somebody who's listening to the episode that I don't see or don't hear, and I go, does this resonate with you? Does this actually make sense? And I look at their face, even if I don't know what they look like. And I make sure that every time I open my mouth, that it makes sense to them. And this is why the literal example is how much time are we actually spending with our audience in real life? Are we grabbing breakfast with them? Are we asking them questions like, if you were to change one thing about my speech, what would you change and why? If you were to explain my idea, like master talk or mindfulness mode to somebody else, how would you explain it? And then as you listen to the answers, you actually realize very quickly whether or not you're communicating it properly enough. 
because your audience, to your point, is always your single source of truth. They are the people that will tell you the truth. And if they don't know what you're doing, then we got a problem. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Do, do you always use PowerPoint when you speak? Mm, I would say it depends on the speech and the conference. Most of the time I like PowerPoint because most of my sessions are usually not keynotes. They're workshops in corporations. There are free trainings where people like having the slides. It's very educational, instructive heavy. In the, I would say 20% of the time when it's a keynote, I generally avoid slides. So it really depends on the message and the idea. But I do think a general rule of thumb to add value here is if you're getting started with keynoting, start with slides. So it's easier for you to get your train of thought. But think of slides like a training wheels, kind of like on a bike. So when you're done the training wheels, then you can just remove the slides and you'll be able to present that same presentation exceptionally well. That's really interesting because I remember one talk I gave, I had decided that I was not going to use PowerPoint. I wasn't going to use any any images. I was just going to do the talk because I had done hundreds and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to not depend on that other thing, all those images. And so it was a one hour talk and they were uh, grade nine and 10 high school students. And I thought, you know, I've done this many times. I know how to grab their attention. I know what to do. And I did grab their attention. You know, I, I felt that they were really with me, especially five to 10 minutes in, I was able to pull them in even more. And, and then until the talk ended, they were really, really with me and I felt good about the talk. And then at the end, the person that hired me, who was probably like the principal or vice principal of the school, came up to me and they were furious that I had not used images, that I hadn't used PowerPoint or something. And I'd never had that before. I'd never had somebody that was so irate. He, I, I think that in his mind, when a speaker comes to the school, they use the, the projection screen and they show images as they talk and so on. And even though the students had been very much with me on the talk, he was quite annoyed about it. But the thing I realize is, Wow, when you do all these talks and 98% of the time people are really happy and they give you positive endorsements and they're, you know, just so thrilled that you were able to get the attention of the audience during the whole thing, then you have to realize that that 2% or whatever it is, it's really inconsequential. How do you deal with the 2% or whatever percentage it is that, you know, when you get negative response? Oh, yeah. It happens all the time. I loved your, your example there about the principle, because sometimes you'll get feedback that you never really thought you'd get. And here, here's another analogy. There, there's a great guy on YouTube who owns a really successful business. His name is Alex Hormozzi. He's the author of the book, $100 Million Offers. And he had a video on his YouTube channel about the lessons he learned from meeting Arnold Schwarzenegger, the, the bodybuilder guy. And what's interesting about Arnold's life and all of the security guards he has around him is a lesson that he taught all of us. And the lesson is, if you want to impact a million lives, you need to be prepared with the thought that 10,000 people will hate your guts for no other reason than you being you. 
and I thought that was such a fascinating quote because a lot of us talk about the impact and the positive and impact. And, and that's amazing. We, we both get to do it. And many people are listening, get to do it on a daily basis. And it's truly an honor. But the other piece as well is getting used to the idea that we're going to face critics, that we're going to face people around the world. And I would say the only way to overcome it it's, there's no silver bullet, but what I would say is it's a thought process. It's thinking about the end state of your vision. So project yourself 10, 20 years, even 30 years if you want, whatever, whatever years you're comfortable with. And just imagine the impact that you're creating if you just keep going on the same path. Let's say there was no haters. Like imagine that world and you just keep going. What would that impact be? Don't just write it on a piece of paper. Feel it. Feel the impact. So for me, if I get very specific about my dreams, I think the next Elon Musk is a seven-year-old who can't afford me, Bruce. So for me, it's so important to show up on podcasts, not to get business, but to help people, right? The people who cannot afford me. Because when Elon Musk was 15 years old, nobody knew who he was. Nobody cared about Elon Musk. Nobody was betting on that person. Whereas the next individual is a seven-year-old girl in Cambodia. So how do I position myself with my content and how I show up in the world so that person can still get access to resources regardless? So this is what I want people to realize. Notice how specific that is. So because of the specificity of how I'm driving the vision, if I get haters along the way, I just greet them with peace. I just go, thank you with my, for the feedback, but we can't give them oxygen because the seven-year-old girl in Cambodia needs me more. Right. So I would encourage people to project the vision and be very specific about who we're impacting. So then it leads to the why. That is such great advice. And, you know, for speakers, that is some of the most important advice you will ever receive because, you know, people can get completely shut down because of the idea of haters. And it might only be one hater that's shutting you down. Don't let it happen, is what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you a question about bullying because I've worked in bullying prevention for a long time. And I want to ask you, do you have a story, Brendan, about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? Mm, powerful question. Absolutely. Happy to answer this one. And, and I don't think I've ever shared this on a podcast before. But for those who don't know, because it's really hard to, to figure this out on my YouTube channel, my left arm is actually crooked. And the reason that is, is because I was born upside down when I was a kid when I was not kid, when I was bored, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so I don't know what the medical term is, but my, the, the doctor had to either cut open my mom's stomach, which is very risky and threaten her life, or pull me out of a vacuum. So when right. they pulled me out of a vacuum, it dislocated my left shoulder and I wasn't able to make it straight again. And, and the reason I tell you that is because I did get bullied for it when I was in when I was younger. But luckily, I will add, because I'm Canadian, there wasn't as much bullying as you'd think it was. Right. But it did happen a few times here and there where I would get bullied. And in the moment, it feels really painful because you're asking yourself, why would a human being treat you that way? But I think the lesson that I got from it is a couple. Number one is going back to long-term vision. Of course, that's harder to do when you're 10 years old. But I think when you focus on the how excited you are about the future and the next step, it helps you deal with the present. The second piece is don't leave it up to you. You know, one of the things I'm the most blessed for, my greatest treasure is not my YouTube channel. It's not my work. It's not my voice. It's the people around me. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, what, just now as I'm speaking to, I'm thinking about the mentors have believed in me who have bet on me. And I go, wow, my life is so amazing. Even if I went back down to zero, even my YouTube channel gets canceled and, uh, you know, people start hating on me. I was like, wow, look, it's not my mentors. So I would encourage people to find friends and people that you can count on. But more specifically, don't measure your friends based on what they say. Measure your friends based on what they do. And this is a big difference because a lot of us, and this really saddens me, Bruce, is we pick the wrong friends. We go, oh, this person's telling me they like me. This person's telling me they join my company, but they aren't actually doing anything for you. And I think that piece is so important because actions always speak louder than words. And the third piece that I would add to this, this is the best part about you know, overcoming situations like bullying or any moment in your life where you feel down, because I've definitely had many of those moments myself, is realize you don't need a lot of people. You know, I think social media has really um, made this, created this idea that you need 5,000 people, you need 4,000 people, you need these huge number of people to have that mental support. The number of real friends, I actually, like real people, people I would die for, literally. It's like maybe outside of my, my family, maybe five people, mm-hmm. maybe six people. All you need is really one. And if you have like two or three, you're all set. Yeah, that's good advice. I, I agree for sure. As we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. Here's the first question. Uh, who is one person who has been a very powerful mindfulness influence in your life, Brendan? Scott Harrison. He's the CEO of Charity Water. He has a great quote from his book. And the quote is, the goal is not to live forever, but rather create something that will. And that quote completely changed my life because it changed my priorities from just making a bunch of money in my 20s to how do I actually serve the world in a meaningful way? Interesting. Okay. And nobody has uh, mentioned Scott on my show before. So that's very interesting. Uh, The second question, tell me this, how has mindfulness affected your emotions or how you deal with your emotions? Mm. So I would say that going back to perspective, because I find perspective drives mindfulness. It's a quote that I came up with in my basement a, a few years ago. The quote is, perspective frees us from the chains of constant complaining. So when you have perspective around everything, well, maybe, let's say Bruce, you weren't late, but let's say Bruce was late to the interview. It's very, which you weren't, of course, but we can assume that, oh, oh, maybe Bruce doesn't want to interview. Maybe we start to invent these stories rather than just going, hey, maybe there's a perspective that something's happening in Bruce's life that he couldn't be here. So when we start to have more perspectives, what happens is we become more mindful of other people. So I would, I would encourage people to go back to increasing more perspectives, be more curious, ask more questions rather than give statements. Yeah. Um, let's talk about breathing. How is breathing a part of your life or a part of your mindfulness practice? I'll be honest. I've read all, like the Wim Hof. I've done the breathing. I need to be better at this. Absolutely. It's, it's definitely a weakness in my game. But I will say breathing definitely plays a a part to it. You know, going back to Mel Robbins' five-second rule, if you just Mm -hmm. take that five seconds to breathe, internalize yourself, you're going to be more successful. But I will admit this is not something I do, and it's something I should be doing more often. So just before you go on stage, if there is like 5,000 people out there, would you take a moment and think to yourself, oh, I just need to breathe? Mm, I love that. 
I think that's a great strategy. The way I do it personally, when I have a big interview or a big stage is I actually prepare the whole day. So I wake up really early. I don't say much to many people. Like when I used to do case competitions, very high stress environment because you're up against 13 schools, prepared four months for it. And I don't say anything for the first five hours of the day. I just stay really, really quiet, which is not like my personality at all. So that way I know that day is important. So everyone's got their own routines. And I think breathing before you come on is one of them too. So is there a book you would recommend that would help maybe with public speaking and mindfulness, a combination? Are there any books you would recommend? Yeah, definitely. There's so many but I would say the, the first one, going back to Scott's work, is definitely Thirst by Scott Harrison. I think Scott has a great mix between public speaking and just how to lead a life with service and impact. Because I think when we give back, going back to Tony Robbins' quote, the secret to living is giving, it makes us more mindful. It helps us enjoy life, the, the little moments. So I encourage that read because I think Scott is not only a fantastic storyteller, but he's also a great example in how we should be thinking about life and how to live it as well. Excellent. Brendan, are there any apps you would recommend which can help with either mindfulness or public speaking? Mm, I, I have a not exciting app. It's, it's Google Keep, right? Or iNotes if you're using your iPhone. And I think this is something not a lot of people do enough of, which is taking notes on your day-to-day thoughts. So what I mean by that is not necessarily journaling, but let's say you come up with a new idea that helps your goals and dreams. Writing them on a piece of paper, virtual paper rather, helps you organize all those thoughts and makes your mind a lot more clear. So I would encourage that. Okay, great. Now, as we wrap up the interview, Brendan, do you have some words of advice for anybody listening to this that just feels as though they don't know how to make that first step to just make it forward so that they can become a confident and relaxed speaker? What would your words of advice be? Yeah, I would say my parting words, Bruce, would be understand why communication matters. Because a lot of us focus on the keynotes we got to deliver, the presentations at work. But the truth is, communication is so much more than that. It's the way that we talk to our families. It's the way that we meet new strangers at a park or an event. It's the way that we meet an old friend and we talk to them or the way that we play with our children. And I would encourage us to focus on that. So when we draw back the question, how would the world change if you were an exceptional communicator, your answer doesn't need to be, I want to be Tony Robbins or Gary Vee. Your answer can very well be, improve the relationships in my life. And I'm always proud to say that the last time me and my sister got into an argument was over 10 years ago. I don't remember it. Same thing with my mom or my grandpa, or really arguments in general. So there's a lot more benefits to communication outside of just presentations. So just focus on what do you want selfishly out of life and wrap around communication to what those selfish goals are. All right. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Brendan. And once again, Mindful Tribe, Brendan's website is rockstarcommunicator.com and his YouTube channel is called Master Talk. So check Brendan out on YouTube and uh, check out his website, rockstarcommunicator.com. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Brendan. Of course, Bruce. Such a pleasure. Awesome. Bye now. Take care. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I'd always encourage you to reach out to me if you have any thoughts, any questions. 
maybe you are going through a, a tough time right now. Maybe you're going through some challenges and, and you need some, uh, you know, a listening ear. You need some help. I would be very, very honored to talk to you. And, and you can connect with me and we'll jump on a free session. Uh, just send me an email, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com and we will have a free Zoom session. And then if you want to move on, we can uh, arrange some hypnosis or we can arrange, you know, some coaching if, if that's something that's right for you. But if it isn't, that's fine too. Just let's jump on a call together and talk about how things are going and uh, what, is, what is happening in your life. So have a great Valentine's Day. Thanks so much for listening and uh, reach new heights of calm, focus and happiness. Like I said, stay in the mode.